We continue this morning in a sermon series on identity, who we are and who God created us to be. Uh, we are awash, our culture is awash in identity confusion. And it didn't happen overnight. It's the circumstances that have been building and growing as our culture more and more has invested itself in trying to identify and define ourselves and teaching our kids and our grandkids and generation after generation that we decide who we are. Well, at the end of the day, when sinners decide who they are, when sinners build their own identity, that's a recipe for a disaster. And that's a problem. And it's always going to be a problem. And our objective is to return to the Bible, to God's creation, and, I, and see again that our identity is part of our creation. And recovering that identity means coming home to him in Jesus Christ and accepting his new identity for us. In 2006, a philosopher named David Benatar wrote a book. Uh, and the title of the book is something to the effect of Better to Have Never Been. Better to have never been. In other words, it would be better to have never been born. And that's the thesis of the book. And, and in his book, he talks about how, how life is worthless and meaningless. It's a series of bad decisions and unfortunate circumstances. And he said, people mislead you and they're cruel to you. And it would be better not to have been born. And out of this book has arisen a movement uh, across the world. It's growing gradually, but a movement called, I wish I had never been born. And people signing on to this movement are doing so because of the meaninglessness they feel in their lives and the emptiness uh, they feel in their lives. And based on this movement, this past February, a young man, 27 years old, sued his parents for giving him birth without his permission. And the lawsuit is still pending. And let that sink in just a minute. Sued his parents for giving him birth without his permission. He said, my life is meaningless. It has no substance. They had no right to give me birth. Now, if you pause and think about that, just as a side issue, basically he's saying that unborn children have rights. You thought about that? See, the inconsistency of our culture uh, and, and the hypocrisy of our culture is all woven into the basic truth that we are, need to get back to our created identity, who God intended us to be in relationship with him, in relationship with one another. And we will not find that apart from Christ. We will not find that apart from him. In the first two installments in the study, uh, we look together at, first of all, how God created all of humanity. In the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, we learn how God creates human beings and how he invests identity into human beings and the four elements of that identity. The first and most significant is that we are created in the image of God. All human beings, all human beings are created in the image of God. We are image bearers. We're not gods, but we bear his image. We bear uh, a resemblance to him. We're in his likeness, the Bible says. Then also we're made for relationships, we're designed for a purpose, and God provides us with that purpose when we're in a right relationship with him. And then God gives us the freedom to make choices. Free will caps off the identity of human beings. Then we found out that Adam and Eve misused that free will. They disobeyed God. And as a result, three out of the four of those elements of our created identity were corrupted at the fall. Our relationships, 
our purpose, and our choices. And now we are always, as sinners, we are always prone to disobey God. It's our orientation to disobey God until we repent and receive Christ as our Savior so that God can help us make choices in obedience to Him and in right relationship with Him. But you'll notice the one thing that was not corrupted was our image, our our created image. That we are created in the image of God. And every human being, even after Eden, is created in the image of God. No exceptions. But our relationships are tainted by sin. Our purpose is tainted by sin. The world, we live in a fallen world because of our sin. And our choices are consistently tainted by sin unless we choose what God wants us to do. We can do that. But the first best choice every human being can make is to come back to Him through Jesus Christ. That was the first of two installments of this series that we're in. Now, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the way God redefines our identity in Christ and who we are in Christ, how we recover that identity, how it's restored, renewed, and how we're made alive again in Christ. But this morning, I want us to focus in on the bridge, what you might call in the meantime. You know, what what was happening before Christ came? And and what did God think of us as his creation? What did he think of people as his creation? Did God love people? Did God care for people? Why did God not just give up on human beings when he evicted Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden? Why did he just not close down the gate and give up instead of from that point forward? And think about this, by the way. All the rest of the Bible... After Genesis chapter 3, after the first three chapters of the Bible, all the rest of the Bible is God telling us, I love you, I will not abandon you, I will judge your sin, but I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you to bring us back to Him. God did not give up on human beings. So what is that about? What's happening in the meantime? If you have your Bible with you, look at Psalm 139 in the Old Testament. Psalm 139, and we're going to look this morning at what I would call a bridge between Eden and the cross, between Eden and Christ, a bridge, uh, an idea through the mind and the heart of King David of what God is thinking about us, of what God thinks of us as his creation, as his fallen creation as well. What does God think of us? What's happening in the meantime? And Psalm 139 gives us that bridge. If you're here this morning or you're at home, You're lonely, you're broken, you're struggling, you know that you're a sinner. You're struggling with your identity. You might be struggling simply with your purpose in life. Why am I here? What what am I supposed to be doing? You might be struggling with broken relationships. You might be struggling with your gender identity, with, with, with who God made you to be or why he made you the way you are. I want you to look at this passage with me and I want you to understand that God loves you because he created you. He knows you fully and he loves you fully. He's not overlooking anything. He knows exactly who you are. And the bridge between the two describes for us, portrays for us what God thinks of us before we come to Christ and before Christ arrives. What does God think of us? If you have your Bible, look with me at Psalm 139. Now when King David wrote this psalm, he did it in worship, in adoration, and in praise. This is a psalm in response to God as his creator. A response to God as his creator. Psalm 139, David says, The Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and you know when I stand up. 
You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Now look at verse 13. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because you've been remark because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Now move down to verse 23. Verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in the everlasting way. God knows you fully and loves you fully. And he always has. And God has a plan for your life, a purpose for your life. And God's intention to to restore to your identity and renew your identity is that you come back to him in Christ. And the reason God does that is because he is your creator. He is your creator. And from the very beginning, God knows you, knows who you are, and knows your identity and who he intends for you to be. So what's God thinking about us in the meantime, in the in-between time? Verse 13 is a benchmark verse in this passage. Uh, and it starts with that little three-letter word that's so important for transition. For, the, uh, David says, for. That is, everything I'm saying in this psalm is because of this. For, it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is David's main thought, and it should be ours as well. God knows us that well and loves us fully. He's our creator. And he wants us back so he can restore to us, renew in us the identity he has for us in Christ. There are three truths in this passage I want us to focus on for just a moment. And they are truths to remember from God's perspective about you. Truths to remember from God's perspective about you. How your creator looks at you in the meantime and in the in-between time. What God was doing until Christ came and how he thought of us. And thought of human beings and how he thinks of you today. The beauty of the word of God is that by God's inspiration, uh, while it was written thousands of years ago, it's applicable to you and me today. And God's going to speak to you about his relationship with you this morning, today. What does God think of you? God made you. So, first of all, because God made you, because God made you, God knows you. I've been saying it over and over, but let it sink in. He knows you fully and he loves you fully. Because God made you, he knows you. King David starts off the psalm saying, you have searched me and known me, past tense. You have searched me and you have known me. Those two words put together mean something like this. You have observed my every way, my everything I do. You've looked into my life and you have known me. Now, This is a very positive statement, not a negative one. It means you have known me intimately and you have loved me. It would be like us saying, uh, I adore you. I see everything you do, everything you are. I know who you are and I adore you. And King David, for everything he'd done in his life, he knew he wasn't perfect. He knew he'd sinned against God. And yet 
Here he, said, he affirms that God has observed his life and he says, God, you, you know me and you've known me and you adore me. There's no reason to try to hide behind a mask or pretend you're someone else with God. God knows you. He has observed your life. He's searched your heart. He knows just who you are. And to cap it off, just in case there's any misunderstanding, King David launches into a short recitation of what it means for God to know you, for God to be aware of you, to watch you, to observe you. And he portrays what scholars call the omniscience of God, the all-knowing nature of God, simply saying God knows all things, past, present, future. God knows everything there is about you, and there's no way to hide that. And David just uh, uh, maps it out. He says, God, you you know where I'm going before I get there. You know me when I stand up, when I sit down, when I walk, when I talk. You know everything about me before it happens, when it happens, and what's going to happen. And God, you, you you know my words. He said, you even know my words before I speak them. You know my thoughts before I think them. All of this, he says, is too lofty for me. How can I can't imagine, he said, what it would be like for God to know me so well that he, he knows everything I'm doing and going to do even before I do it. He knows where I'm going to go even before I go there. He knows when I arrive and he's waiting for me when I get there. God knows everything about me. And yet, God loves me. We cannot hide from God. Why should we try? Because he made you. He knows you. He saw you when you got up this morning. And the Bible says he never sleeps or slumbers. So he was wide awake while you were sound asleep. He knows your past and how that's going to plug into your future. He knows your present and why it's important for you to be in worship this morning. God knows you. God knows you. He knows everything about you. And listen, not one time in your life while he observed you, while he searched you, while he knew you, not one time in your life has your God ever said, I wish I had not made him. I wish I had not made her. What was I thinking? Because when he looks upon us, he looks with adoration. That he loves us. He loves us. Because God made you, he knows you. No sense in hiding, no sense in pretending. When you're hurting, when you're struggling... When you're thinking what you shouldn't be thinking, doing what you shouldn't be doing, saying what you shouldn't be saying, God knows all these things, and he loves you fully, and he knows you fully. Second, because God made you, God designed you. This is really the core of identity, is God's design for us. And as we've seen in this series, when we say God made us, he created us, and he designed us, we mean, of course, by that, that God designed us biologically. He designed our personality. He designed us emotionally. He designed us for the relationships we have, for the future we have. God designed us. He designed you for who you are. And David breaks it down a bit. David says, God designed you with care. God designed you with care, with, with actual tenderness, but with detail and attention to detail. He, he designed you with care. Back to verse 13. He says, you may created me or made me. And some of your Bibles will translate that. You formed me. Uh, you made me who I am. Created my inward parts. And you'll like this. You'll like to know that in the Hebrew language, there's not actually a word for inward parts. Literally, 
so they're, they're kind of figurative about it. And this passage actually says, uh, you designed my kidneys. So, so God designed your kidneys. Isn't that good to know? It means, of course, that he, he knows you intimately. He designed every part of you, even down to the blood flow in your body, even down to your heartbeat. God created your inward parts. And the second phrase, David expands on that. He created me. Well, he knit me together in my mother's womb. It's the image of an artist working out intricate detail of their artwork. And, and the, the word knit is very literally, he wove you together. He couldn't do that unless he had hands-on experience. God wove you. God knit you. God is the artist who created you. It means he foresaw who you would be, the personality you would have, who you would be biologically, and God decided that for you when he knit you together in your mother's womb. God made you. So God designed you with care, and then he says God designed you with purpose. That keeps coming back, doesn't it? God designed you with purpose. Look at verse 16 again. David says, Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God knew why he created you before he created you. God knew why your mom gave birth to you before your mom gave birth to you. God knew why you were going to be on planet Earth, designed your purpose, and designed your days in advance. God designed you. You and I are not accidents of nature. Even even be, be, between time, even in the meantime, when we're, when we're struggling with who we are, God knows a purpose for us. God has a purpose for us, and he's designed that purpose. And when we return to Christ, we start walking in that purpose that God has for us. It's God's joy to create a purpose for you, to form you and design you for a purpose. It's your joy to walk in that purpose when you come to Christ. We are not accidents of nature. And it's impossible to read the Bible and not see that God made every human being in his image. From womb to tomb, conception to casket, beginning to end, and for eternity. Every human being belongs to God made in his image. Every human being. On this side of the fall, we have some problems. We have some struggles. We live in a fallen world. We have sickness, deformity, disease. We have struggles. But that doesn't change the fact that every human being is knit together in the image of God and every person is an image bearer for God. You can't get from Scripture, you can't get from Scripture that until and unless a person is born, they're not a person. You only get from Scripture that God knitted together at conception in the womb every human being for a purpose. He is the life giver and we are his image bearers, every person. On September 9th, um, the name slips my mind. Ah, Trevor Noah. On September 9th, Trevor Noah of The Daily Show was talking about gender reveal parties. And some of you, young parents especially, you've had a gender reveal party. Uh, and this was not long after a gender reveal party it was found was responsible for one of the fires in California. So he was talking about that. And, uh, and this is what he said. 
He said, we need to stop doing gender reveal parties and just wait until the child is old enough to decide their own gender and who they are and then celebrate it. We are awash in identity confusion. You absolutely cannot get something like that from Scripture. The Bible says, as we've just seen, God instills us with our identity. And our culture continues to invest in this notion that you can decide your identity, change your identity, change your biology uh, at a whim, and yet the Bible continually says we're made in his image. He designed us for a purpose. That's how far removed our culture is from the biblical teaching of God as our creator. We need to help culture get back to it. And you and I need to understand for ourselves, God created us in his image for a purpose. We are designed by him for a purpose. So God made you because God made you. He knows you. He designed you. And then third, because God made you, he wants you back. He wants you back. You have wandered off in sin. You have made decisions that uh, disobedience to God. And and yet, he wants us back. He wants us in right relationship with him. Look at verse 23 again. David says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. Now, when he started the psalm, he says, God, you have searched me. Past tense, you have known me. You know who I am. So he says, now, God, I'm inviting you to do that. I know you're a loving creator. I know you you designed me. You made me for a purpose. You knitted me together. So, God, I want to invite you to, to take a hard look at me. Search and know my heart, the depth of my thoughts, my person and my personality. Test me if you need to. Know what I think, what burdens me, what concerns me. Test me, God. Then verse 24, if you see any offensive thing in me, any sin in my thoughts, God, lead me in the everlasting way. God, if there's anything inside me that's offensive to you, any sin, cleanse me of that. And God, lead me in the everlasting way. You know what David's saying? David's saying, God, I have affirmed that you're my creator. And now that I know that you're my creator, you designed me for a purpose, you want me to come back, God, I want to come back. I want to come back. I'm inviting you, God, to take a hard look at me, to look into my life, to know who I am, to cleanse me of anything that doesn't please you, God, so that I can follow you. I want to be on that everlasting path. This is David's way of speaking of eternity. It's David's way of saying, I'm going to put my faith in God. He doesn't use the name of Christ or Messiah, but it's, we see the reflection of that very decision. That is he, it's David saying, I want to come back to you. And it's an acknowledgement and recognition that God wants us back. Why? Because he made us. He's our creator. When you sin against him, he doesn't watch you go away and say, I hope they never come back. He calls to your heart over and over and over saying, invite me in. Let me show you what's between us. Let me show you what you've got to confess so that you can come back into right relationship with God. And we know now that that's through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ. When you say, God, come into my heart, into my life, search it, show me. I'll confess any sin and repent of that sin and you trust Christ as your Savior. You return to right relationship with God.
Michelangelo, of course, is, is famous for many sculptures. And one of those, you've seen many pictures of it, is Mary holding Jesus when he just came down from the cross. It's the Peta. It's the famous picture of, uh, of, of Mary and, and Jesus is in her lap and she grieves and mourns his death on the cross. What a lot of people don't know is that was the first of two Petas that uh, Michelangelo had planned. And the second one he worked on for 10 years. And before he died, he abandoned the project. He chiseled on that stone. He chiseled and, and, and worked and sculpted and did his best on that stone for 10 years and was never able to bring out of it the image of Mary and Jesus that he had intended to bring out. And he just gave up. And in fact, scholars say he tried to destroy that second Pato unsuccessfully. And a friend of his recovered it and kept it. And that friend and another contemporary were asked, well, why did he give up and why did he have such a hard time for 10 years chiseling away at this rock and not being able to bring out the sculpture that he was so known for? And the friend said, well, uh, it was because the rock was full of impurities and was far harder than any rock Michelangelo had worked with before. And as try as he might, the artist could not bring out of the stone what he had intended. That piece of artwork has been written about and studied about for a long time. And, and not long ago, one artist famously said of it, sometimes the rock insists on being a rock while the artist is trying to make it a piece of art. What a reflection of us. We sit back and insist on doing things our way. God, I will form my own identity. I will make my life myself. I'll find my purpose myself. God, I don't have any sin in my life. I'm not confused about who I am. And the Lord keeps speaking to us. The artist keeps working on us. And the artist keeps calling us. But the good news with our artist is he never gives up. He's calling to you. Even now, won't you come back to him? Your creator is your redeemer. Will you invite him into your life? Will you let him show you that sin you need to confess and repent of? Will you let him lead you on his path, his everlasting life, and trust Christ as your Savior? I'm going to pray for us in a moment. And when I do first, I'm going to pray for believers here and at home. You know you've already trusted Christ as your Savior but let me ask you this. Do you celebrate your identity in Christ or you just worry about it? You try to figure out who you are or do you say, God, tell me who I am. Lead me in your way, God, that I would be who you designed me to be. I want to ask you believers, would you start over with the Lord today? If you're struggling with your identity, would you start over and say, Christ has given me my identity to live in that. That's who I am. And continue to follow Christ. Recommit to follow Christ as your Savior, your Lord, your Master, and your Creator today. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, here in house or at home, I'm going to pray a simple prayer with you to make that decision today, to invite Him into your life, confessing your sin to Him, telling Him, whatever you show me, God, I'll confess that, asking Him to lead you in His everlasting life, to give you eternal life. We're going to pray a simple prayer in a moment. To do just that. And in that prayer we ask Christ to come into our lives. And if you're at home or here. You've never done that before. I want to invite you to pray that prayer with me. In just a moment. 
and invite Jesus Christ into your life to forgive you of your sins. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we pause in this moment, God, we thank you. We thank you that, God, in the in-between time, you've never given up on us. You're our creator, our designer, our redeemer. God, how we praise you, and we thank you for that. So, Father, for those who have trusted Christ as their Savior right now, we recommit ourselves to to living our identity in Christ. We, We ask your forgiveness, God, for trying to go our own way, make our own purpose, be our own person. God, forgive us for that. And we surrender again to you, our Lord and our Savior. We recommit ourselves to following Christ today. And Father, maybe there's a a Christian, a believer, Father, that's been struggling with who they are. God, I pray for them today. I pray that they turn back to you. I pray, Father, they'd stop listening to what the world says about them and start listening to you and what you say about them. And Father, there are some that need Christ as their Savior. Lord Jesus, you are our creator. You're our God. And I I pray right now with and for that person that's never trusted Christ that today would be the day they come home as they realize you want them back. That they would pray this prayer, Father, to come home to you. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and you're alive today. Jesus, come into my heart, into my life. Show me any sin that I need to confess. Cleanse me of that. Forgive me of my sins. And I repent of those sins, God, and commit my life to Christ today. Heavenly Father, I pray for any who have prayed either one of these two prayers or maybe there's other burdens, other commitments on our hearts today, God. We give that to you. And thank you, Father, for meeting us right where we are, for waiting for us to come back to you, for creating us, God, that we belong to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.